Husbands and wives, as you know, we've been going through the uh, book of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the New Testament's most definitive statement on Christian marriage. Um, But firstly, I want to note the context um, of why this comes up and Ephesians divides itself into two big sections. The first outlines what Christians believe And the second, how Christians behave because of those beliefs. Our text is part of that second section that begins back in the fourth chapter. The theme throughout the last half of the book is about how to live a Christian life in a world of conflicting values. We start off in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. As a prisoner, Paul writes, for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then chapter 5 continues on a related note. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul will further detail uh, the household relationships in later verses as he discusses the parent relationship, uh, parent-child relationship in chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 which Terry is going to address and the master-slave relationship in chapter 6 verses 5 to 9. The immediate context of our passage is summed up with these words in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And this leads into our text for today from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. We read, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And as Jesus does in Matthew chapter 19 and verses 4 to 6, Paul takes us back to when all this started. Um, And that is at creation. Both Jesus and Paul quote from Genesis chapter 2 where they talk about uh, there was a man that's needed to work on the ground 
uh, and a man became a living being. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And in verse 24 he says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What a great time that would have been. Then, of course, sin enters the world and upends the whole story. It's interesting when we read Ephesians chapter 5 and Paul's explanation of all these sorts of relationships, you've got to ask yourself, why is that? Why is that? In the uh, first century, the concept of respectful mutual love was a revolutionary idea. Reading from Bible commentator uh, William Barclay, he observes, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband, just as much as his house and his flocks or his material goods were. She had no legal right whatever. In Greek society, a respectable woman lived the life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, never went to the markets. She lived in the woman's apartments and did not join her menfolk even for meals. From her, there was demanded a complete servitude and chastity. But her husband could go out as much as he chose and could enter into many relationships outside marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. The passage in Ephesians totally turns that worldview upside down. It is so countercultural what Paul is writing about back at that time. It calls for both husband and wife to honour, respect and love the other. The passage is about two people putting the other person first. When we look at our uh, topic for the day, we get into the world and we see these things like submit and lead. I would merely want to view this from the world's point of view. Right? We don't like submitting. We don't like what's leading all about. We want to perceive it from those rose-coloured glasses. But when Paul wrote this, it was completely different countercultural thinking. We're not extremely comfortable about talking about these words, but what's the dream? Oh, it's to be your own boss, uh, to answer to nobody but yourself. Uh, we have a view of what leading looks like. We don't like to be told what to do. To live in submission to another person, but that's just what the Bible is saying. We are to submit our will to the will of others. Submission is a crucial ingredient in Christian living in general. I pinched a couple of slides from Swillow's talk on church leadership because our church biblical leadership model is completely different as the world sees it. We talk about elders and deacons. There's no hierarchy. They have different roles and responsibilities in this church. Not one is bigger or better than the other. And then we talk about um, our leadership model when we have a body with many parts. They're all equal, but they have different functions. Um, And we respect those differences. Let each part do its work. Otherwise, the body becomes sick and dysfunctional while all serve one another in love under the headship of Jesus. 
That's the way we are. And then you get a passage like Matthew um, in verse uh, chapter 20 and verses 25 to 28. He completely upends what leadership's all about. Right? Um, Jesus called and said, look, I know that the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, but what are we doing? Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, he writes. So the world's model based on this, again from Swillow, is we servants looking after benefactors so they get power and prestige, which is living in selfishness, where a church model is completely the opposite. We are servants. We use our gifts and maturity serving the people so that they grow. The biblical model for leadership is completely different to how the world would see it. We're supposed to represent God and speak on his behalf in this world. That's our responsibility. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And he chose marriage as a billboard by which he could shout out his message. So he calls us to cultivate marriages that represent him accurately, completely different to the way the world sees it. It is in this passage that the Apostle Paul explains how a married relationship should reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. It is also here that he describes our roles in marriage. God has called men to lead humbly and serve their wives sacrificially. They should help their wives prepare for the moment she sees God. God has called women to follow their husbands and encourage them in their pursuit of him. Obedience to these commands is a unique opportunity to show the world how wonderful it can be to follow godly leadership. We live in a time when most people distrust and dislike authority and it spills over into an unwillingness to submit to the lordship of Jesus. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We've been given a tremendous task, a high bar. It's huge. Our love should remind our wives of Christ's love. The longer life goes on, the more she should feel like she's married to Jesus. Don't ask your wife that question just yet. The Bible tells men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Think about that seriously. Jesus did not sit in heaven talking about his feelings for us. His love went way beyond words and feelings. Jesus was all about action, all about sacrifice. He left the glory and comforts of heaven for us. He endured torture and ridicule for us. 
He didn't sit passively in heaven criticising us. He zealously came after us. And he tells husbands, simply, follow my example. We cannot display Christ's love without hurting. Jesus gave himself for the church. He speaks of his death. There was nothing he withheld from his bride. We need to look at the bigger picture. It's not just about making sacrifices, big or small. It's about character. It's about letting go of myself and constantly thinking of others. It's about becoming like Christ. We have to remember why Christ made the sacrifice that he did. In verses 26 to 27, He talks about the church to make her holy, cleansing her. So why did Jesus sacrifice himself for the church? He was preparing us to meet God. Without his sacrifice, it would have been a horrifying encounter. God would have taken one look at our sinfulness and sent us to a terrifying end. But Jesus changed all of that. He sacrificed so we could stand before him, holy and without blemish. It was the most loving thing he could have done. If we are to love like Christ, then we also must concern ourselves with our wives' sanctification. Though Jesus has already taken all of her sin on the cross, husbands still have a real responsibility. You are to love, lead and sacrifice in such a way that it results in our wives' sanctification. The most loving thing we can do is lead our wife to be closer to Jesus, to become more like him. Paul tells us to love our wives as our own bodies in verses 28 to 30. We don't have to remind ourselves to nourish and cherish our bodies. Um, We do this quite naturally. Paul's analogy simply tells us to see our wives as an extension of ourselves. Why should husbands love their wives as their own bodies? Because that is what Christ does for us. He nourishes and cherishes us because we are members of, of his body. Let's not miss that. Jesus cares for me like I care for my own body. Do we believe that the Son of God cares for me like a member of his body? We ought to be at this very moment in time overwhelmed with joy and thank God for his amazing truth. Here's some principles for husbands. We ought to become overwhelmed by Christ's care for us. 
And as a result of that, we share our wives with the same love that we receive from God. Then, people are shocked by our extravagant love toward our wives. It is so countercultural. They're shocked by the way we do that. And as a result, we're given an opportunity to tell them about the love of Christ that compels us, being his ambassadors. There are healthy discussions to be had on the subject of roles in marriage. We obviously want to understand what the Bible is saying as clearly as possible. There is no better way to stand apart from non-believers than in the way wives respectively submit to their husbands. They display their trust in Christ and God's word powerfully when they embrace his instruction to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is countercultural. It's countercultural in our world to be like that. But the reality is, if we truly desire to follow Jesus, we will definitely not fit in with this culture. In many ways. Not just living as husbands and wives as Paul's asked us. Here are some principles for thinking through the call to submission. When wives submit, they are respectfully submitting to a God-given position and not perfection. In other words, your husbands are going to make mistakes. They will not always deserve to be the leader in your eyes, but God will always deserve your obedience to him in this way. And since the command to submit comes from God, your submission is ultimately to him. Only your submission to God should be absolute. Wives are not meant to submit to their husbands if they ask them to sin. Wives must obey God rather than human beings. Wives are designed to help their husbands and to accomplish so much more together. God decided that it was not good for the man to be alone. So we created a helper, as we know from Genesis chapter 2. Wives, embrace your God-given role. Give the husbands the benefit of your insight, your wisdom and your perspective. But also give him the freedom to move and lead in the direction he feels God is leading There is no safer place to be than in the will of God. If wives know God has asked them to submit to the husbands, they follow God in that. God has carefully crafted every aspect of marriage and we need to learn to trust him.
The biblical concept of submission does not put husbands in the place of God. Ultimately, we all, we all entrust ourselves to God. It's pretty astounding that Jesus himself willingly submitted to the Father in order to accomplish his purposes. Jesus himself said, I do nothing on my own authority. And I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then Paul closes this commentary with these verses. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. How does a discussion of Christ and the church and the teaching regarding husbands and wives fit together? Why does Paul call this a profound mystery? When we begin to grasp the mystery of marriage, we will learn something important about our faith and our families. In the wisdom writings of Proverb, a wise man known simply as Agar, beginning in verse 15, Agar cites three things that never satisfy, three things that amaze, three things that make the earth tremble, three small but great things, and three proud things. But we note the things that amaze. He says here, there are three things that are too amazing for me. Four, what I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. I do not understand. Wisdom literature. He doesn't understand. And then Paul says, it's, he says it's amazing. And Paul calls a man and a woman becoming one and pledging themselves to one another for life is a profound mystery. It's amazing that all of the billions of people on the planet, two people can find each other and become totally committed to each other. That's amazing on many levels. You pick someone, there's billions of people, you pick, you pick this one to live the rest of your life with. That's amazing. That's a whole pile of questions run through my head. But note how in our text, Paul weaves back and forth between the bond between a husband and a wife and the bond between Christ and those who have committed their lives to him. He speaks of marriage and he ends with that statement. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Here I think is his point. If you think it's amazing that two totally different people could love one another for life, 
then how much more amazing is it that a perfect and holy God could find and love sinners like us? And that broken and misshaped people like us could be born again and begin a lifelong committed relationship with God. That is amazing. A mystery? Yes. Impossible? No, not at all. In a broken world, marriages do work. In a sinful world, salvation does happen. Both are amazing beyond compare. Both are marvellous things to behold. Both deserve to be pursued and honoured. The bottom line is this. A lot of people don't believe Christ's love because they've never had a reason to believe in real love of any kind. Followers of Jesus, it is our job as ambassadors of Christ to show them and to show them that in our marriages because they're so different from the marriages of the world. Maybe once they see human that human kind of love, they will begin to look for the heavenly kind. That's what our marriages are all about according to Paul. He writes in John chapter 13, but this everyone will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because of the love that you show to one another. Because it's so countercultural to the way the world works. When husbands and wives make it their goal to love each other with the love of Christ, the conflicts that we have regarding roles and responsibilities dissipate. Imagine a marriage or any relationship for that matter where both parties are trying desperately to outdo one another in showing honour. Take action by truly loving your spouse not only through the words, but showing your love in the way Jesus showed love. The Bible tells us we've been given the ability to walk like Jesus. We have to keep believing this. We have to keep striving for this as we eagerly await his return. I understand that Paul's instructions for husbands and wives are difficult to follow. The command to love in the same way that Christ loved is not exactly a cakewalk. Our roles seem equally impossible. But we thank God for the Holy Spirit. This is why we have to constantly remind ourselves of the power of the Spirit. The call requires superhuman strength. And that is exactly what God has provided to us through the Holy Spirit.
By loving our spouses, as Paul writes in Ephesians, people will marvel when they observe these Christian marriages because they're so different to the world. It is then that we will be that bright, shining billboard by which God can shout his message. Thank you.